Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello, welcome to episode 27 with psychologist Nicole Pernod, or as some Americans say, Nicole Pernod. Yes. All right, it is March 1st. Hope everyone enjoyed their extra day yesterday. 366 days in this year. That's pretty neat. What do you do with an extra day? What did I do with the extra day? I don't know, because it hasn't happened yet. Because it's Saturday night right now, and this is what I'm doing. Talking into a microphone by myself. But, one week from when this comes out, uh, I'll be on the West Coast. I'm doing a little stand-up tour up and down the West Coast. If you live there or know someone that lives there, I'll be performing in Los Angeles, San Francisco, Portland, Oregon, and maybe somewhere in Southern Oregon. Hopefully that'll come through. But you can check out all the dates on my website, which is GaryGaryLevitt.com.com. All right, so this episode we have another psychologist and uh, talk about all kinds of interesting stuff, I think, like patterns and reactions, and we get some interesting tools to make things a little easier. So I hope you get something out of this, because I know I did, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with me, Matt Kaplan, and Dr. Nicole Pernod. <laughs> so I was looking on your website, because you are a psychologist. You call yourself a cognitive psychologist, right? Or no, wait, this is what I was interested in. This cognitive behavioral therapy. Oh, yeah. I, I'm pretty integrative, meaning I pull from different theoretical orientations. Mm -hmm. So I put that because it's a buzzword. A lot of people who are anxious or depressed have done a little bit of research and have mm -hmm. seen that that's empirically supported. So I want to make sure that they know that I work that way, but I pull from different orientations. I had to look that up, cognitive behavioral therapy. And uh, it was interesting because it says that it's behavior that's not controlled through rational thoughts. So you change people's behavior not by using rational thinking. Is that correct? No, I think the goal is that you want to be more <laughs> rational. Oh, really? You, mm -hmm. Okay, right. Well, don't we all want to be? Yeah, exactly. Okay. And when people are having... Um, so cognitions is basically a fancy word for thoughts. Right. So a lot of times people who are depressed or anxious or pretty much going through anything, going through a breakup, their rationality goes out the door and they tend to catastrophize things. Or Act they, on emotions. Exactly. Yeah. 
Exactly. So my job is to try to gently challenge those thoughts and say, like, is this really based in the evidence of your life? And is this really going on? Or can we hypothesize that other things are going on? And you try to bring them back into a rational mind. It's very mindful. It's actually really tied into principles of yoga, too. That's interesting. I mean, sometimes emotions are there for a reason, though, like fright or fear. So sometimes it's good to follow them. Like one time, uh, uh, my ex and I, when we were living together, we came back and we had a roommate that was stealing from us. Oh, no. But we couldn't know. We didn't know. She was just a terrible roommate. And then finally, we came back from wherever we were. And she, my, my ex just got fed up. And she's like, that's it. I'm kicking her out right now. And I was like, just relax. No, you're acting on anger. Just relax. And then she ended up staying longer and making things worse. And stealing more stuff. Stealing more stuff. <laughs> and I realized, oh, she, I, let her, I should have just let her act on that emotion. Because then rational thought came in and it was like, oh, we don't want to jump to conclusions or anything or be mean. You know? So it's hard to know because sometimes the emotions are there for a purpose. Oh, I think they're always there for a purpose. So that's the. But they're not rational. But sometimes they are. And I think it's not to disavow them, but it's about what you do with them. So mm-hmm. maybe your emotions are also your biggest guideline. And if something's wrong, then definitely you should listen to it. But sometimes they could be heightened or they could be misinformed. So it's kind of like integrating both sides of you. Okay. And maybe the emotional reaction would be like, oh my God, this person's stealing. We need to like get them out. But there's a middle ground. There's, okay, maybe I need to talk to this person. Maybe I need to get a camera and look a little bit more. Maybe I need to slow down the process. And what's in between doing nothing and then overreacting or in right. a violent or aggressive way? Yeah, I guess maybe a good combination yeah. of the two. Listening to the emotion, but using a little rational thought. Exactly. Because fear, too, obviously, if you sense someone's out to get you or something. You know, it's it's there for a reason, that emotion. Yeah, and I mean, sometimes it could be the thing that saves you from something or a warning sign in a relationship. But if you've had previous experiences, you're going to be hypervigilant. And that's where PTSD comes in. Uh-huh. Um, and you could have PTSD from how we traditionally think about it in terms of like war vets and having a reaction to trauma. But we have little tiny traumas all the time. I have, I have PTSD. Do you? Yeah. I think life has just given me PTSD in a very minor form, nothing compared to a veterans of course but don't we all kind of have ptsd we're all scarred totally and i think one of the main ways that we could get scarred is if we've had relationship trauma or things didn't work out like a perfect example is let's say somebody's cheated on Mm -hmm, and then that person is really hyper vigilant and they bring that baggage to a next relationship that is so tough and that's probably very common huh totally Mm -hmm. this is weird because if someone's been cheated on a lot obviously they're very you know, wary of they're looking out for that. Exactly. But then you have the the thing of where, oh, if someone's always accusing that person of cheating, it's actually they are the ones that are thinking they're about projecting. Che- yeah. You know what you're talking about. I yeah. do? Yeah. Can I get an honorary degree? Uh, maybe for today. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes, doctor. Can I have one? Really? <laughs> All right. Sweet. Yeah, that's interesting because, uh, you know, I've had that thrown back in my face. I have a, that's not about me. It's about you. I know I'm tricky like that. I can I could really yeah. turn it into I'm sneaky like that. That's a sign of a good psychologist right there. <laughs> Thank you. I've I just want to just that. talk about all my stuff with you. Yeah, that happens to me sometimes on dates though, and I find that I go into the listener. So yeah, pull me back. I'll, I'll talk, but I love to know people's stories. That happens to me on dates too. Mm. Sign of a good listener. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, this will make a terrible podcast if we're both just listening. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> 
<laughs> that was my concern. No, I'll, I'll definitely I'll answer any questions. But I find people's stories fascinating, which is why I love what I do so much. Mm, yeah. Do people, are they intimidated by you if they go on a date, if they know what you do beforehand? Or mm. they, do you feel sometimes they're holding back or feeling guarded? I think that when I first, because I'm, oh God, here we go. I'm online dating. So I think one of the things that I get a lot is, oh, I hope you're not analyzing me. Of course. Or I'm a little scared. I'm like, don't be scared. I'm just a normal person and not judging. I think we're all doing that. You just might have more specific words to describe what you're thinking when you are. No, but you also probably know the red flags too. Yeah, but it doesn't mean I avoid them. (laughs) (laughs) I charge towards them like a bull. It's a waving red flag. Yes. Once you're interested in someone, the brain starts slowly stepping away from the equation and the other parts of your body start taking control. Absolutely. That's where your cognitive uh, behavioral therapy comes in because you're like, oh, that's emotion. I'm going (laughs) to use some rational thought. Yeah, nip that right in the bud and use some rational thought. A hundred percent. But mostly people are really interested, Mm -hmm. you know, professionally and personally. It's a great field. I enjoy it very much. Is it a different thing for you? Um, Is it something that you compartmentalize when you're with a client or out on a date? Which part? The way you listen, the way you analyze a person. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I would even say that I analyze a person at all. I just am taking them in. Mm-hmm. And I think on a date, I'm looking more for, is there chemistry? Do I want to spend time with right. this person? Um, so that part of me does turn off a lot. It's yeah. a different part of me, but I don't think it's compartmentalized. And then when I'm meeting a client for the first time, I just want them to feel really, really safe because, you know, in graduate school, we had to go to therapy and mm-hmm. I know what it feels like to be on the other side. And it's really vulnerable. Yeah. Have you been to therapy You're mm-hmm. at yourself? You have to, right? You have to. It's strongly suggested. And uh, I went to about four different people. Mm-hmm. Um, Was it hard to find the right one? I quit. <laughs> You quit? <laughs> I did. I went to somebody for a year. That was the longest time. And she was excellent. But Why did you stop? I think for me, I tend to overthink things a lot. That's not my thing. I'm Are very you sure aware. you do that? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, believe it or not, my, my therapy for myself is yoga. I love it so, mm-hmm. so much. Yeah. Um, to drop out of my head and into my body. Yeah, it talks about mindfulness on your website a mm-hmm, little bit. Mm-hmm. I'm a big proponent of that. I really, I'm actually going for yoga teacher training right now to try to integrate it into my practice with kids and adults. That's interesting. I could see that. Do you do any meditation as well? I try to. That's the hardest part for me, and that's actually mm-hmm. what they say is the the peak pose of yoga is mm-hmm. meditation. That's the asana that you're trying to get to. The stillness, yeah. right? Yeah, the stillness, the mind body connection. What happens when you try to do it? Is it just difficult? I think I can carve out the time for myself when it's an exercise routine, when it's something that I'm doing, okay, this is for my body. Right. And it's harder to feel like this is immediately useful. Because yeah. you're, you're, you're literally cutting out time to do nothing. Exactly. But yeah. it's, it's everything. So whenever mm-hmm. I do it, and sometimes in yoga class, they'll add on 10 minutes in the beginning or the end. It's, it's really useful. I, I strongly mm-hmm. recommend meditation and I tell everybody to do it, but it's yeah. hard for me if I'm being real. Yeah, it's amazing because uh, when I do it, like if, even if it's just 15 or 20 minutes, it makes the rest of my day clearer and more productive. You've so, got that Zen vibe. Oh, don't be fooled. <laughs> <laughs> don't be fooled. But you're turning me into the client. Today. I'm not, I'm not. I'm trying to. No, I, 
I'm trying to do that. That's that's part of my area that I want to work on. This is the year of meditation and the year of music for me. Oh, well, then you're in the right place. <laughs> Talk um, about your music. There, No, I, I want to learn more. And I've been, I mean, this is a cognition, right? Because yeah. I've been saying, oh, I wish my parents put me in something musical when I was younger. I just sat and ate Chips Ahoy and I didn't really... They didn't even feed you well. No, they did. They fed me. You know, it was, it was the mom, 80s. It was like yeah. spaghetti with butter and chips yep. ahoy and yodels, you know? Yeah, they had no sense of nutrition whatsoever. None. Yeah. None. I was just like, why am I chunky? This is so weird. But yeah. Bagels, cream cheese, chips I think, ahoy? I think also then people trusted the food industry more Absolutely. and the government industry. Like, all right, well, I mean, chips ahoy can't be that bad. I can buy it in the store. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, it's so, it's user friendly, it's there, it's great marketing. So, you know, that was something that was a, a different time for me. Yeah. So, do you have a problem? Not a problem. That's not kind of cool. Do you have trouble getting uh, like with compassion fatigue, t- just tired of listening to people? It actually invigorates me. And it does. that's the sign that I'm doing what I was absolutely meant to do mm-hmm. i always knew i wanted to be a, a psychologist well not always i didn't like wake up at two years old and know that but mm-hmm. when did you start to get interested in it and how high school how uh-huh what was it something that happened yeah i was always like a mediocre student and i went to st francis prep and yeah okay and i always got okay grades but i never really felt passionate about something and then i took a psychology class senior year in high school mm-hmm. wow i don't think they offer that in public schools it was <laughs> right it was like the only benefit of catholic school yeah um, but it was an elective and i aced it i actually got like a 98 in the class and it was not mm-hmm. the norm for me and i loved it i thought it was so fascinating and then wait psychology in catholic school do they incorporate religion into the psychology <laughs> no no okay good because that sounds dangerous no thank god they didn't <laughs> right it was the one area that Unless I was wearing a short skirt and then I would get detention. If we, we had to pray. We had to pray. And if it if the class was in the beginning of yeah. the day and it fell out, then we would have to pray. Every day in school you'd have to pray? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's part of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they would measure our skirts too. Measure your skirts? Oh, yeah. Like to the knee? like mm-hmm. yeah. They would take out a ruler or you would have to bend and like kneel down on the floor. And if the skirt didn't touch the floor, then you would get detention. I actually had to wear pants for a year. Because your skirt was too short mm-hmm. one day? That is so... It's kind of creepy. It is creepy. Yeah. It's really creepy when I think about it. But there was also really nice things about it, not having to worry about what I wore every day. And <laughs> I'm like that, too. Like, I understand Steve Jobs just wearing the same black outfit every day. Oh, yeah. Because every de- to me, every decision I have to make is a stress. Is it? <laughs> yeah, decisions, all they are are stresses. Yeah, it's just added onto your plate. I mean, this is a confession of someone in private practice, too, because all of my friends, we do the same thing because we don't see the same people every day. Uh-huh. We'll take, like, this outfit I wore yesterday. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I should have been a psychologist. It's perfect. You would have nailed it. <laughs> totally. It's just you just have to change your outfit once a week. Yeah. Oh, it's so great. I know. See, Steve Jobs did that because he didn't want the decision. I mean, he had the same outfit every same. You know, there were new clothing. He wasn't wearing dirty clothing every day, but oh, he was a minimalist. You know, he had other things to do. He had so many other decisions to make. Why waste the mental energy on what am I going to wear today? Yeah, and I, I love fashion. I mean, my patients joke it. They joke. They know, but um. Yeah, I mean, that's an easy part. But getting back to your question with psychology, then I just majored in that in sociology in college. I went to Adelphi 
And I was like, what the hell am I going to do with this degree? Did you see a psychologist in high school? Mm, I saw the guidance counselor once or twice when my parents got divorced. Mm -hmm. And then my best friend and I went once because she was kind of sad. So we went together. I went to kind of like be her support. But other than that, no. Wow. So did you do that um, voluntarily? Mm-hmm. You did? Mm-hmm. So your parents got divorced while you were in high school? Yeah. What what year? Um, well, 1999. Well, no, what grade were you in? I was a sophomore in high school. Okay. That's a tough year. It is. And that general. actually, when I think about it, I think that led me to do a lot of the child work that I do now. Because I work a lot with kids that are going through divorces in their family. Right. Did you keep a journal at that time? Oh, yeah. You did? Oh, yeah. Do you still have it? Of course. Have you dared to read it? It's so disturbing. It's horrifying. It's so repetitive. Is it? Yeah. It's just like, it's angsty. It's fun. It's fun to read. Being older now, are you able to read that and analyze it from your educated self? I was the same person. I was really? aware. Yeah. So all that education and training is just useless. Yeah, it's useless. I mean, I could have. It helped. It helped fine tune something that I think was an innate strength. To be honest, every time I go back and read old journals, it's just I just hate it. I Do just, you? Yeah. I mean, sometimes I'm like, oh, that's all right, but mostly it's just dribble. Yeah, I mean, mine was petty. It was. It was just about love and relationships, mm-hmm. and it's. I there's a sweet nostalgia to it, and I would listen to Les Mis. I, I liked that stuff. Uh huh. Very. You know what it is? Because when we're writing in journals, we're like putting out our emotional selves. Mm-hmm. So it's really just one side of a person usually. Can I ask? Because I never did any journal writing or, or diary writing as a child. Were you mindful that at some time you would read it when you're older, or was it more of just I need to write this now? That's such a good question. I don't think I was mindful. No, but I just loved taking pictures. I loved capturing memories. I loved processing what I was feeling. And it's funny because my dad just found a whole bunch of those journals. And oh, he's no. like, I have them. I was like, oh, no. Did he read he's, them? No, he didn't. He has boundaries. He said he didn't. He sa- yeah, or he's lying Do to me. Do you think me. he did? Well, he keeps journals every day, too. So Have you read his? Isn't that natural to want to? To be curious, of yeah. course. Yeah, Curiosity. I mean... Nothing to be ashamed of. Nothing to be ashamed of. No, I think it's really natural. And I think at that time, I also wanted to know what was going on with my parents, to be honest. I wanted to it find out... It was during out. the divorce mm-hmm. that you found? Oh, mm-hmm. wow. So did you find out truths that weren't stated? No, no, I already knew. I kind of knew what was going on, but... Uh, my parents are divorced too, but it happened when I was two years old, so I was very young. Mm. And I know when friends get separated, you kind of have to choose a side... So I've never dealt with uh, adult divorce, divorce as an adult with the parents. Did you have to kind of choose a side? No, they're really good friends still. It's amazing. Okay. And this is something that I tell my patients all the time and their families that divorce happens, but it's really about what you do after. And if you can co-parent together and coexist together, then the unit of family stays, even though the label is not there. Right. And I had that. So I actually self-disclose sometimes and I really don't. But with the parents that I'm working with, with their kids, they're like, are my kids going to be messed up? And I was like, no, if you can get along and show that you're still mom, he's still dad, or whatever form the family takes, right? they're going to be okay. There's going to be an adjustment period, but they're going to be okay. That's their role as parents. Mm-hmm. And I think it shows a realistic picture of life that shit happens. Not Absolutely. everything's perfect, but we can make the best of it if we all take care of each other. Yeah, it's actually yeah. really good role modeling. modeling. Like, what do you do now? Right. And the kids fare better. I mean, the kids that I see, I see them once a week. And sometimes I'll see the parents once a week, too, because they're going through so much. Mm-hmm. And being in 10th grade, you're 
kind of old enough to deal with the understanding of what's going on? No, I was definitely old enough. I think that things moved quickly because my mom remarried very quickly. Oh, really? Was there some relationship overlap? No. Okay. Mm-mm. They were separated for a while and then the divorce happened. And okay. then. What if you read your dad's journal and you found out like just horrible cheating scandals? I think I've, I mean, if there's one thing that I've learned as I've gotten older, and I think this is part of natural development too, is that you start to have a very concrete idea of what right and wrong is when mm-hmm. you're younger, which is a good thing. That's how you develop your morality. Yeah. But the older I get, the more I just see people's humanity. Right. And the chain of events or circumstances that could lead to decision making. So Yeah. This is interesting because the cognitive behavioral therapy you're talking about uh, getting a handle of your emotions. Yes. Because when people react emotionally, all they're doing is reacting from things in the past. A lot of times, they're yes. They're just repeating their own patterns. Mm-hmm. Right? A hundred percent. And they're replaying templates that might not serve them anymore. They don't serve them. No. Exactly. It's, it's a just, waste of time. And that's when people stop growing because they're just like, I can't do that. They just repeat something in the past. Absolutely. It's or they very put limiting. Up a defense. Yeah. It's very limiting. And that's one of the things like, you sound like you guys both know a little bit about therapy and there's all these different orientations. And a lot of times people will go to an analyst, which is somebody who does work maybe two, three, four times a week. And the person goes on the couch and they really regress with the idea of, okay, what were these past traumas? And people dig very deeply. Mm. But a lot of times the people that are drawn to a CBT model, they're like, I don't want to rehash all this shit. I want to move forward with my life. I want to understand myself now but you have to go back. You, so that's why I like the integrative because you have to go back, but I don't want to dwell on that. I want to empower the people that I see that right. you can change. You can always change. I'm a firm believer yeah, in that. We, we, yep. Gary and I talk a lot off mic and on you know previous podcasts about how sometimes therapists, you go there and they're just listening, which is great. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you just want a therapist to give you some tools, tell you what's up. And my understanding is CBT, that's what it's about. It's like, okay, you keep going in this cycle of depression and not getting out of the house and being scared that something's going to happen. Here's what you can do to avoid that. Mm -hmm. And there's research that goes back and forth. So a few years ago, it was all like, okay, no more psychodynamic therapy. CBT is the treatment of choice for anxiety and depression. And now there's Mm -hmm. new research saying that actually it's not as um, efficacious as it was thought to be because if people don't have the insight then they're going to keep repeating their patterns as well and with insight comes motivation somebody could tell you you know stop doing that that doesn't help yeah no because they don't want to so they have to feel empowered they have to know themselves there has to be a right dance between introspection and motivation for change and then the tools to use okay how do i cope with these feelings what can i do how can i distance myself from these emotions can i witness them yeah can i redirect myself and knowing what to look for is the first step exactly exactly yeah my i've been to a bunch of therapists but my best one i had to ask her to do this because she was a great listener Mm -hmm. like you but Thank I had, you. <laughs> but I had to ask her to, you know, voice an opinion or if you see something, because I need feedback. I'm obviously not coming it to it myself. And she said to me that um, she noticed a pattern in my stories and my history was that I'm very protective or wary of other people's feelings. Mm. And I want to, you know, I'm kind of like walk on eggshells and I'm, very, I'm overly concerned about how other people feel. And once she said that, and it was from my childhood, from my parents' divorce, 
because they did not have a peaceful divorce. It was always... Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. That sucks. Thank you. But it was always like talking uh, behind their back to us, to me and my brother. Like That's a big no-no. Big no-no. Yeah. Talking like, like crap about each other. pawns, like... Not so much as pawns, but being like, oh, your mother, with this look of like oh, disgust. I yeah, yeah. It yeah. could be a look. It could be yeah. so subtle. And mm-hmm. I talk a lot about that with the parents that I see. Like, they pick up on everything. Mm-hmm. An eye roll, you know, a, a huff, and that all sends a message. Yeah, it was not uh, a loving front. They could have at least put up a loving front. Mm. Yeah, I think people and, and parents in this case don't realize how much kids pick up. Because it's like kids learn how to eye roll and go. <laughs> oh, by absolutely, and they at a will. Very young age, they will. They pick up on everything, and I think parents can very often not realize that. Yeah, and that that all that is, is was just a repetition of my past and your relationship and being kind of wary of. Yeah, like trying to like not trying to protect my father's feelings, trying to protect my mother's feelings, and then that just kept repeating itself because it, ha- it started at such a young age. And then when she brought that out to me and, and I was and she kind of like cited all these different places where I was where I put other people's feelings first and she said, Well what about your feelings? Like how do you feel about that? Oh my god, and now you're doing this job. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Well this is good because I let, this fires me up, like you said, because I'm curious about this stuff. So it invigorates me. That was your word you used. Absolutely. That's the key. And I I think everybody should have a career that makes them feel that way. Mm -hmm. Um, And in that That sense. That invigorates you. uh, Absolutely. But most people don't. Most people, they they get to their job and they put their brain in the drawer and shut it and then pull it out. That sucks. I feel like that's where you spend so much of your time. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really interesting because now there's like the dawning of the coach, the life coach. And I think people really have an affinity for that because one, it takes away the stigma of like, Oh, I'm, I'm going to therapy. Right. And they want more guidance. They want more guidance and feedback, pra- mm-hmm. practical stuff, practical stuff. And I, I work a little that way. I'm not quiet in the room. My patients know me. Mm-hmm. I'm very relational. Yeah. Um, which is another type of therapy, which is basically what happens in the connection between you and your clients mm-hmm. will probably be a snapshot of what happens to them in the greater scope of their life so how they make me feel is the best data that i could use as far as interpersonal change i mean that's a wordy thing interesting it's really cool therapy's cool (laughs) so you're saying that is super cool so you're saying the way that you feel you can get a sense Mm -hmm. of how they're making their yes that makes sense Mm -hmm. that's why solitary confinement is the worst torture the worst the worst i can't believe people are put Mm -hmm. into that situation yeah people don't realize this but like without other people around you you have no sense of self. If there was no one else around ever, you would lose. You'd become this amorphous blob. You wouldn't have any identity. Or Totally. We're social beings. We're meant to connect. Mm-hmm. We're meant to connect. And that's a great tool that I use all the time is how I, you know, how I feel in the room. Mm-hmm. How do you feel in the room right now? I, I feel a little <laughs> nervous, but. <laughs> Why? Because we're on microphones yeah. and headphones? <laughs> no, but. um. I feel invigorated right now, too, because I love my field so much, and I think that there's common misconceptions sometimes, so I'm eager to give a, a voice to that. And you seem like you'd be really a great therapist to go to. Oh, thanks, Yeah, man. because you're a great listener, you're very aware, you're very in, present, and 
I like that you're into this uh, mind-body connection and the wellness and you're giving feedback. Oh, the cats in Williamsburg love that too because my, my office is on rolling a metropolitan so I draw in mm-hmm. such a groovy crowd. Uh-huh. So you're like the therapist to the hipster. I mean, look what I'm operation. wearing right now. I, I saw <laughs> Please five people. Please describe it because our listeners oh. can't. <laughs> I don't really like that word hipster. (laughs) I'm sorry. No, I mean, look, it's groovy. Not said it, not you. Okay, I didn't even realize. I am wearing... I'm wearing white washed jeans that are ripped up and my friends who still work at the hospital laugh at me all the time. They can't believe I go to work like this. But if I'm my most comfortable self, then I can be in the room and I could be my most authentic self. And if I want to draw that out in people, it would seem pretty hypocritical if I didn't feel that in myself. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. What are... um. This this is so interesting, this emotion. So this is something that you learned that people just repeat their own patterns when they react, because reactions are just snapshots of the past repeated. Not always, but a lot of times when emotions are heightened, they can come from a place of pain sometimes. I mean, sometimes they're novel experiences too, but a lot of times we just are, we're subject to all these different experiences in life. Mm-hmm. And we connect with people all the time, and our you know fight or flight response is to keep safe. So it does it does make sense that a lot of times we're going to draw on our past experience all the time. But then yeah. does that take us out of the moment? Right. And is there something new to experience or to learn? It's almost like it's another dimension, though, because every action is a reaction. So even if it's just something as simple as like, oh look, I see a Taco Bell, <laughs> right? To me, when I see a Taco Bell, I think of being on the road. And be like, oh, it's better than McDonald's. I love Taco Bell. Let's do that. You so have I get a positive association. I have with a Taco very Bell. positive association. <laughs> I'm sure if I ate a bad Taco Bell and got really sick, I would see that Taco Bell. My reaction would be, oh, I feel sick. Yeah, you'd have an aversion to it in time. He has a lot of positive Taco <laughs> yeah. Bell experiences I under do. his belt. <laughs> I like this podcast brought to you by Taco Bell. <laughs> but that's that's reactions. Mm-hmm. Reactions are just snapshots of the past oftentimes and Mm -hmm. people repeat their reactions to things and they end up stagnant yeah they do and i mean even the slightest change can cause monumentous effects and how do we do that well i mean what do you want to change man (laughs) no i won't go there Uh, slowly slowly yeah I, i mean Saying yes to things, shaking things up. Um, yes, saying yes to things is big, right? Huge. It's huge. And we, just to normalize, I think everybody goes through that fear or that apprehension of doing something new. Uh, I could have said no to this podcast because I was nervous, you right. know, but I was like, wait a minute, why am I going to say no to something that's an experience? So let me learn mm. from it. That's how we grow. That's my 2016 mod. One of them is be comfortable outside of my comfort zone i love that so like you know when you're outside of your comfort zone you feel this this thing this discomfort this agitation and now i'm i'm doing it's like nlp yes i'm I'm reprogramming my brain to have a positive association with that discomfort and and that you know it's basically how you grow because if you do something over time this is exposure work if you do something over time it gets just a little bit less uncomfortable, a little bit less uncomfortable. Yes. And if you don't push through, you're limiting your life. Mm-hmm. You're you're not growing. You are staying stagnant. So, you know, there comes a point that you have to face this fear and realize if I want to reach my goals as a human being, as a partner, as a parent, I have to try these things. And I think we get a little stuck. And I see this 
with um, technology, we could really stay in a bubble sometimes. Yeah. And a very safe bubble. A safe bubble. But is it really that safe to stay that way? So Because it's dangerous to you and your growth. Exactly. I think an, another great exercise, my friend Anthony was talking about this on a podcast recently, is being mindful of how you feel before you do something and then compare it to how afterwards. So let's say you're on your way here to this podcast and you're like, I'm anxious, I'm nervous, I don't know these guys, you know, I've never been on a mic, I don't want to be a podcast, you know, this is making me nervous. And then afterwards, compare your feelings to it afterwards and be like, oh, it was fine. Why did I waste so much of my energy this morning being nervous about it? And then just bring that to the next time you're nervous about facing something like, oh, remember the last time? And it was fine. And that's CBT, my friend. Yeah. 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 Well, he does. He does CBT. Oh, so okay, good. He's experienced in that. So, that's but cool. but I tried it myself on Sunday. I was going somewhere and I was nervous. I was anxious and I had a great time. Where were you going? To the Macabre Film Festival. You were nervous about going to a film festival. <laughs> it's not. Well, it's leave not them a, alone. It's not the film festival. <laughs> it's even called the Macabre Film Festival. <laughs> it's, 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 no, it it's, sounds. It's, it's sounds because scary. there are a lot of people there. Yeah. That are good contacts for me. Good to network. Oh, with. and that makes me very nervous. So I had right. to talk to a lot of people. Sell myself as an actor and a filmmaker and a writer. And that makes me very nervous, but I was smooth in all my conversations. That sounds great. Yeah. Did you do anything to get yourself in that headspace? I just thought about it on the way. I was on the Long Island Railroad. I was thinking about it. I was like, what's making me nervous? What's making me anxious? Picturing myself talking to people. Yeah. And so I thought about that. And I'm like, okay, these are real feelings. I'm not going to deny them, mm-hmm. but let me put them in perspective compared to afterwards. Right. And I had a great time, and I thought about it afterwards on my way back on the Long Island Railroad, back to Brooklyn. I was like, okay. I didn't need to be. Not that it was wrong to feel that way, but I didn't need and to be And you pushed through it, and yeah. you remembered that, okay, after this, chances are I'm going to feel other feelings. I'm going to feel proud of myself. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be as bad. I might be catastrophizing. And you were able to use that and just kind of go through. The trick is the next time this comes up, can I instantly being like, oh, wipe that away? It's a process. It's a little bit at a time, which is what I was talking about with the baby steps. Yeah. But as people, we don't like baby steps. We like giant steps taken. We want instant gratification with everything, with Mm -hmm. weight. I mean, I work in a very holistic way, so... I talk about lifestyle. I talk about exercise a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but wasn't some of Matt's um, anxiety brought on by expectations? Because he wasn't just going to something with no uh, expectation. He was going for a purpose. You were going to network. Mm-hmm. And everyone gets that anxiety feeling. When, oh, I have to go. I have to network because you know, you're on the clock in a way. But if you were just going to enjoy you probably wouldn't have that anxiety, right? Not to the degree. I mean, I'll always find some way to be anxious, you know? <laughs> be like, what, do I, what if I have to go number two and, you know, it's not a good bathroom to go into? Or whatever it is, it's like, I'll always find ways, like, for anxiety. Like, I, I like to think of, like, my mind sometimes is like a, a roller deck, to use an outdated term, where basically, like, everything's fine, but let me keep going through it until I find something to be upset or anxious about. This podcast brought to you by Rolodex. <laughs> Yeah, but you know, this is one thing I'm thinking is you're probably really thoughtful and introspective and I can sense that from you. So a lot of times the thing that we're like, oh, I suck at this is probably in a different view, your greatest strength as well. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, okay, don't judge this part of you, but just honor it and know that this is part of your makeup. And Mm -hmm. sometimes you're going to face situations that are new and you're going to feel anxious about it. But at the end of the day, would you really want to change yourself so much? No, n- not not at all. I just want to improve myself, mm-hmm. make the best version of myself. Yeah. Well, that's a change. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I've never understood people. Well, I shouldn't, that's not the right term, but you, you hear people say like, oh, I hate myself. I dislike myself. I'd rather be this person. And I hear like, that a lot. And you're like, but then you lose everything about you that you've ever felt or learned. And then all of a sudden you're thrown into this other person. That might not be any better. No, but I do. I hear that a lot. And it's really, it's one of the hardest things for me as a therapist. Clients to say, will say that, that mm-hmm. they, they just hate themselves. Yeah, that they hate themselves. So that's like, I guess your starting point is to get them to accept themselves and then work on growing, huh? Absolutely. And just to, to soften to themselves mm-hmm. because they could be the biggest critic of themselves. They could be so, so harsh. And if they could just shift a little to, I dislike myself even, which even that is so hard for me to hear because I tend to, I work with really lovely people. I feel very fortunate for that. Your so. clients? You oh mean? yeah. 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 See, when, see, as a, as a performer, I get, I have a lot of that, but it's usually with performance and relationships maybe. Mm. But what are the common things people, you hear people are disliking about themselves? Their behaviors. Um, if they're compulsive, I see some people who mm. have sex addictions or drug addictions, or right. maybe they have history of being abusive in relationships, and they probably are reenacting a pattern of their own. So they, they tend to be very, very hard on themselves. So how do you find out what that pattern is or where it came from? Is that the first thing you would do? I kind of just, it takes time. And that's something that if I'm working with an adult, they're coming in and they feel the benefits of having rapport. Even that is very nice and therapeutic. Yeah, to feel Um, comfortable. Absolutely. And it takes a lot of time. And that's one thing I'm very thankful. Pace, shout out to my training because it was very psychodynamic and they really valued the relationship. Yeah. They, you know, sometimes it'll take a year for somebody to open up. And I, I see people for years um, and I really respect that process because if you rush it, it's shaky ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't mean someone has to be in forever. If I feel like someone's done, I'll be like, you know, I think we're kind of done here. Really? Oh, yeah. That's, that's great. Yeah. You know, I always found therapy usually beneficial, but I always, <laughs> I always get done with the session like I'm just ahead. <laughs> You know, like I was so in my head that I've forgotten my body. I can't believe you're saying that because that's what I'll say to some people. If I feel like they're not moving in session or I feel like they have a disconnect with their body, I'm going to be like, let's drop down to your body right now. What's your body feeling in the room right now? And it's so important, mm-hmm, right? Because, mm-hmm. it, yeah, it's all connected. Like that yoga move where you move your or you stretch your arms out to open up your chest. Yeah, your heart chakra. Yeah, and, and emotions come out. Absolutely. Camel pose, all of those. I'll even talk about chakras in my sessions too which they kind of love but it's all connected it's all different language to get to the same thing Mm -hmm. i feel like people are warming up to this it's like part of evolution it's kind of going back Uh to realizing these other things and to give a voice to something that other people have been talking about it's all it's all different ways of trying to heal honestly but um so you'll do that with a client you'll you'll bring up their their body and say well mm-hmm. yeah because mm-hmm. a lot of the emotions are stored in the chest yeah they are or in the hips actually in too, the hips too which really? is why pigeon pose and yoga is really known to make people cry mm-hmm. because people who have tight hips it's been known to be where they store emotion or maybe relational trauma yeah that's interesting because i know like for the chest my understanding is you know we store our pain our feelings in a chest because you kind of pull into yourself sometimes if you're upset or fearf- fearful or scared or yeah, something. Yeah, you hunch in. Right. Is that is that like what is the relation to the hips in that way? Do you know? I don't know if it's a relation to the hips, but I know that 
a lot of times I'll see and I'll pay attention to people's body language in session. And it's different if somebody's kind of pulling up their feet. Because I let people take their shoes off, they eat in session, they get mm-hmm. very comfortable. Versus just sits and doesn't move and is kind of couched over and looks like they're protecting themselves and they're protecting their heart. And I'll I'll take note of that. But people's body language will t- change over time too. Will you say anything to them about the Absolutely. Body? You will? Absolutely. Bring it to their attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so you'll... Uh, and that's so interesting. You can do stretches. You, I guess with psychology, you can really do anything. You can make it your own. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've had people that, um, because I have toys in my office too, and if mm-hmm. someone seems very stressed out, I'm like, we need Play-Doh. You know, just like something <laughs> to use for your hands, um, just to kind of loosen loosen up and to not take it so seriously. I work from a very strength-based model too. That's why a lot of people doodle when they talk or stuff. Yeah, just get the energy out, get the anxious energy out. Um mm-hmm. And I think people, when they come into therapy, they're afraid like something's wrong with me. And it's really not the case. I think anybody can benefit yeah. from it. Is there still a therapy stigma, you think? Sometimes. I, I, think it's, I think it's dwindling, which is really nice to yeah. see, but it's still there a little bit. And it's there prior to the first appointment. I think people have a fantasy of what the room is going to look like or if they're going to feel very... I'm at a doctor's appointment. Right, lying on the couch like a Freudian thing. Yeah. 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 I also think it's evolutional. I think maybe our parents weren't like that. They weren't quite as open to... No, I think 100%. And even the little kids that I see, sometimes they, um, they'll they go to their friends and be like, oh, I'm going to talk about this with my therapist later. And then the mom will be like, oh my God, Like people are going to think she's crazy. And then the mom will catch themselves and be like, why am I judging this? Why am I putting this fear on my child when they're right. pure and open and you know, more advanced in this way than I am. So Yeah, it's just like talking to a friend that without any repercussions and a friend that has some training. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that there's there's a little risk that people could get dependent on therapy. Uh-huh. Um, How is that? I think that they get really comfortable and I want them to trust themselves. I want them to trust their decision-making and to be able to take what we've talked about and to practice it on their own. So I will, if I'm starting to have that feeling with people, I'll say, I'll explore it and we'll set a little time. If they're in agreement, like, yeah, I've been scared. Well, uh-huh. what do you, you know, what's your fantasy of what could happen? Well, I'm afraid if something goes on in my life and I don't have you. Okay, well, what would you do? And I li- I'd rather be the secure base that people can come back to if they need me, but right. then... Maybe they take the chance to use the skills that they developed, then just kind of keep staying. Right. I could see that. They just like, oh, I can't wait. Every week they look forward to it and that's their thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Instead of dealing with something themselves on a Friday, they'll be like, well, I'm seeing my therapist in three days. Yeah. And they can. They can. So it's really rewarding to see people wrap up therapy too. That's a whole other stage, the termination stage. And when it's done right, it could be reparative in the sense that so often in life, we don't get to say goodbye to people. They mm-hmm. kind of leave and we don't process the relationship. But with this, I, there's a whole stage. I'll take a month and we'll kind of wrap up and talk about our work together It'll and celebrate some, it. Create some closure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But isn't it just maintenance too? Like, don't we just kind of always need a tune-up? They, we do. And I think that if something happened big, like a big transition happened in someone's life, they could call me and I would see them for one or two sessions. Mm-hmm. They know I'm there. I like to be that. I like to be a part of the community in Williamsburg. But a lot of times they can they can surprise themselves and they can handle it. Yeah. How long are your sessions usually? 45 minutes. 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. See, I always feel like they're too short. 
you want to just you want to be there yeah like anytime i've gone i think they've been 45 minutes and i always feel like i'm just getting somewhere because it takes a while to relax into it you're coming from a busy city street so there's like the 20 minute warm-up yeah i mean that's something that's known in our field too people will drop like this huge bomb this huge disclosure right <laughs> at the like, door oh, i'm just up. like come on man <laughs> but i'll joke I'm like you know you did this last week too i was like what am i supposed to do you just said this really fascinating thing and we don't have time right or they show up late they'll show up late and then why something. would they show up late mm, i mean sometimes it's resistance sometimes it's just style uh-huh Sometimes I think it's fear of filling the space. Yeah, fear. Mm-hmm. Is, um, do you have shared offices? Are there? Because I think sometimes people also they come, they're entering the building, they're in a, a waiting room with other people, so they're already tense, like I'm being judged because I'm going to a therapist. So just from the start, it might take them time to sort of wipe that away and start feeling open. No, absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that I love so much about my space. It's a shared space, so I have my own office there, but it's a four floor walk up in a graffiti covered mm-hmm. building. It looks very funky, uh-huh. um, non-threatening. And it's not all therapists there. There's musicians, there's graphic designers. So people don't know why you're coming in. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's interesting. There's a little cover. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes you see a psychologist's office. I'll have like one door to enter and another door to exit. Oh so yeah. No that's old school. That's old school, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I had that once too at the therapist I went to. That yeah. was cool. Yeah, it's kind of nice. I don't have that. <laughs> I mean, the, it, it would be what would really be nice would would there for be to no to be no more stigma mm. for society to change the stigma about it, which is happening. I think it's happening. Although I would imagine outside of New York or more liberal places, there still is a, a big stigma. Probably, it's also a luxury too. It is. I mean, I think it's actually become a little posh to go to therapy too. Yeah. I think everybody especially in our age group will be like yeah. has been to therapy or mm-hmm. you know understands the value in it but it is a luxury uh which is why i i try to have a sliding scale to accompany a few people that are lower income yeah but health insurance covers a, a lot a but lot. a lot of people don't take insurance oh really mm-hmm. do you take insurance i do okay i do See, this is good to get all this information down there. <laughs> Cigna and Blue Cross Blue Shield. But i it's a pain in the ass, to be honest, because you have to do a lot of paperwork with it. But I feel like people yeah. should be able to use their insurance. It's horrible. You have insurance. You should be able to get some type of care. Isn't it the worst it system? It is. It makes me so mad. On every end, it's just a terrible, terrible system. I didn't have insurance for seven months just now. I was going completely off the radar. I was just done. Just sick of it? I was sick of it. I was sick of paying for it. So I didn't. And then yeah. my family screamed at me. And I, I'm on now. So Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I had insurance too last year. And I am still got this ridiculous bill. And then the insurance company doesn't even exist anymore. And it went to collections. I don't, there's no one even to talk to about it. No, it sucks. Ignore it. Sucks. it. They'll, they'll forget about it at some point. Yeah. I mean, I it's would love just... to have the whole system be tweaked to mm-hmm. you know support the client. Because there's so many people. I So I started off by working in a hospital where I saw severely mentally ill people, people who have been hospitalized and really, really struggling. And, you know, there's been so much turnover at the hospitals now because they don't offer competitive salaries and it's really, really high caseloads. And I did that for almost four years. And, you know, I feel so bad for those people that really, really need the care. And then they get comfortable with one therapist and then they have to switch over and over and over again. So, yeah. Did you have any feelings of guilt of leaving the hospital to go into 
private therapy because I've heard other therapists talk about that. Immense guilt, yeah. You feel like you're abandoning in the clients? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I kind of was, you know, and right. there's, you know, other people to do the job. So I had to check my ego and, you know, be like, okay, Nicole, like, change is good for people. But at the end of the day, I had lovely groups with people and their day-to-day -day didn't change so much because they were sick and they were limited financially. So they they watched me start there and I saw them every week and then they watched me leave and I think it's a loss for them but I also think it's a reminder of they're staying yeah um so I did I had a lot of of guilt about yeah, I, it I think if the if someone if you were talking to yourself yourself would tell you you have to take care of yourself yeah I was I just burned used out. The word yourself too much but no I get it yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I get it I had to because yeah. I was doing both I was doing the hospital work and private practice and I was literally my sweet father would come pick me up from the hospital and I would literally nap and get a cookie and he'd take me to my other job as I was building my private practice. So uh -huh. sweet. But um, yeah, it just, it was... Chips Ahoy? Yeah, no. <laughs> no, I, I upgraded to gourmet. Uh, yeah, uh, yes. Mama Fuku. Sign of the times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I still think about them. I think about them all the time. And I wish them well. And I miss the work. It was very energetic. It was very challenging at the same time. It was high pace. There was colleagues. That's one thing with private practice. I do get a little lonely there. Right. Is yeah. it just you? It's just me. Yeah. You're just doing everything. Just doing my thing. Yeah. So I, I miss the banter. I miss my colleagues. I miss team meetings, mm -hmm. um, that part of it. But the cost benefit of it, you know. Right. It doesn't compare. Yeah. So... I want to change my reactions to some things. Okay. How, okay, let's, should I use a specific example? Yes. Sure, yeah. Okay, I get nervous, and this is very common, it's not just to me, but I get nervous before I have to go on stage. Okay. And the only tool I have is to breathe and just t be conscious of my breath going in and out. Um, no, there's a, there's a lot of other tools that okay. you could use. Um, do you work out during the week? Um, sometimes are you telling the truth sometimes i mean i have that little exercise thing over there i'll use that or I, what are you pointing to oh it's this <laughs> <laughs> it's a japanese exercise disc so you stand on it and you kind of twist and uh, then i have that thing that i, that I, I think I i'm gonna for. categorize your workout routine as hardly, <laughs> yeah, I would say hardly. <laughs> does walking around the city count uh, do you use the little step monitor on your iphone i don't no. no. Well, you can see how many steps you take per day. And I actually encourage my patients to do this. Okay. Because you should be taking probably around 10,000. 10,000 steps. A day. Okay. And I'm, I'm saying this because it's really preventative for anxiety. Uh -huh. The endorphins from exercise. Now, is it different walking or running? Because yeah, I've gone running a couple times and that feels really good. Yeah. I mean, it's great. It's great to do that. But if you're not doing that three times a week, you can, I mean, this is where it's the baby steps. Right. Just trying to walk a little bit more during the day. But does it matter if you're like, when you run, your, your blood is pumping more? And it walking. is. It is. It's a little bit more endorphin-y, but it's right. still endorphins nonetheless. And it's still physical activity when you think about the talking head. Yeah. And these things naturally help with anxiety so exercise is one thing that i really in general it'll help with your anxiety it's just preventative it's yeah. good good medicine for yourself and it's safe and it's healthy you know what i do sometimes i do a speed walks okay do, do you move your hands so if no one's around i'll like uh, you know 
if no one's around, you're in the <laughs> city. Elbows. People are always around. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if the, if the streets are empty, I'm walking to the subway. I'll bend my elbows and you know do a speed walk and you know move my arms. That's back a and really forth. cute little move that you got going on there. That's so funny. It, it exercises the chest and it kind of gets everything going. I mean, I'll take it. I I might still categorize you as hardly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just playing. That's good. There's room for growth. There's room for growth. See? But that's not everything that you can do. Um, so you're getting nervous before. Well, why do you want to perform then? Um, because it's it's like Matt said earlier. It's always, almost always, I should not say always. If it goes horribly, it's traumatic. But uh, usually it goes well and I feel better afterwards. I feel like I connected with the audience. Mm. I connected with myself. It's very rewarding. If I don't get on stage in a few days, I feel... Like something's wrong mm. in my body. It's like, oh, I need to go do it. So it sounds like it's deeply fulfilling for you. Yeah, I mean, I've been performing on stages for you know since I was sixteen. So really, yeah, that's really cool. In How did school. you get into it? Well, in high school, I had a band and we performed, and then I went to college and I had a band, and I was just kind of always performing. So maybe when you get nervous, you can remind yourself of how intrinsic it is to you and your happiness. And you hold on to the positive attributes of it. Because it right. sounds like that really outweighs the the feeling of the anxiety. anxiety. It does. And it does. if you can just kind of balance that in your head and, and also acknowledge and just give it a place. It's okay to be nervous. It means you care. Right. But also I've been trying to because I've been trying to do this thing where I get on stage and I'm not there for me. I'm there to make You're there the for audience. The people. Yeah, because I want the audience to have a good time. And I use that as a tool because it helps me get out of my head. That's sweet. That's really sweet. You want to share something with people. Yeah, but ultimately I'm doing it because I want to get out of my head. But I do want to make the audience have a good time. But So I need to remind myself that I'm doing it to make for my wellness. But also I'm doing it to for other people's wellness. Yeah, you're doing it for both of those really good reasons. And also... It's okay to be nervous. It just means you care. You yeah. wanna, don't you want to do a good job? I mean, I, is that why, why you're getting nervous? Yeah, exactly. You know what it is, though? I think it might just be ego, too. Oh, what about the ego is such a tricky little beast? It's such it's a horrible little thing. and uh, Oh, it's a big thing. Yeah. <laughs> it is. <laughs> well, yeah, because my ego is like, oh, what if it goes, probably very subconsciously, it's like, oh, what if it goes terrible? Because I noticed uh, I used to host an open mic and there would be people that would go up that just had no ego whatsoever. You know, they're probably just like crazy street people sometimes. But they just seemed like they didn't give a shit. They were so free. They're so free. So free. And they just irritated you. No, I was I was inspired You're by You're inspired it. by them. Yeah, but then I'd notice like, oh, if they had more of an ego, it would serve them better because they would dress a little better. They would relate to people a little better. They would be able to like put together a full show and not just do this open mic every week. <laughs> but it's like watching Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. You know, he's just so free up there with his guitar and his singing. And, you know, he had a little um, insecurity about his vocals. But that's what we love about it is the freedom. Well, you also, I mean, you don't know what people are thinking when they look so free. That's and that's true. something to remember when you're performing is that people, and this goes for anybody with anxiety too, people can't see what's going on in your head. And I remind clients of that all the time. Right. Chances are they're thinking about their own shit. They're worried about their yeah. own stuff that's going on. They're like, oh, my boyfriend this, my girlfriend that. They're not analyzing you right. so much and they can't see everything. So if that could offer some solace to you too, that 
I'm feeling this way, but it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm coming across that way because people could be looking at you from the audience and being like, oh my God, he's so free. Right. He's just, he's nailing it, you know? Isn't that a general thing though? People are not thinking about you as much as you think they are. Yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate reality, but yeah, I mean, they're yeah. not. They're just, we're, we're walking around, we're invested in our stories most of the time. Mm-hmm. And I mean, even what you said just now about Jimi Hendrix, like, isn't that sweet that he would get a little nervous? This man that's so amazing. Right. It's his vulnerability. It's something we can all connect to. It makes him more human. It makes him more real. It does, yeah. And John Lennon had that too. Like, he never liked his voice. And you were like, really? You can't believe it. Yeah, five million people screaming your name doesn't convince you it's okay. Yeah, I mean, go, go <laughs> as powerful ego. as like someone like Richard Nixon, who like destroyed himself from like insecurities and fears. I mean, this guy was the ruler of the, the world in certain ways. Well, he was probably flooded with guilt for being a criminal. <laughs> well, this is even before. Like, go, go back into like, you know, the 50s when his you know, like political career was was started this was was a man and, and it was it was his fears and his insecurities that brought him to become a criminal because he was paranoid right Not getting too far into history now but the point is that the biggest people in the world can be some of the most well that's what fearful I, that, and insecure that's Absolutely. perfect because that brings me back around to what i said when we first started was about how sometimes your emotions can drive you oh yeah like, and your inferiority or your mm-hmm. fear and sometimes it's okay to let them drive you like how many great breakup songs do we have oh yeah i mean they're or love songs beautiful yeah that's sublimation at its finest Mm -hmm. you're just able to take some experience that was painful or hard and make it into something beautiful that everyone can relate to yeah my friend uh jen turner said this to me she's a great musician she she kind of said that to me many years ago she's like well you feel really heartbroken and you're using it as fuel it is fuel absolutely and it made me feel like it was okay it is that way. it's the best it's the best medicine i actually work with a lot of creative people in the neighborhood too a lot of musicians and i'll have them sing songs in session with me and oh wow yeah it's really cool and, and some, then you're like haha you're paying me for a concert yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I <know. laughs> no you, i mean it's what beautiful is, what do you say to people who aren't as creative or gifted should they still try to express themselves in a creative way even if they describe himself as not having any talent i would say bullshit i think everybody has some type of talent yeah i think that and they just haven't has, discovered it right and everyone has some expression even if it's just banging on a tin can oh yeah yelling gibberish that's, and it doesn't have to be adele here but it's it's beautiful in their own voice and it's expressive I have all these kids last week that came in singing Adele, rolling in the deep. I don't know what was going on in school, and we just started blasting <laughs> it on Spotify. And it's like you see these little anxious kids that are like playing in a very constricted way, and then they start to like, you know, sing and dance and what session. Age? Not even a new material. Not even no. I mean, they're going back old school, old school, old old Adele. Yeah, yeah. What age were they? Uh, seven okay seven years old but i see kids as young as two you do because mm-hmm. there's something in kids like that adults don't have kids have a freedom to oh, they're so honest right they're, they're so, honest, so honest but they're also free to experiment like you give a kid an ipad and he'll figure it out you give a 70 year old an ipad they're like oh i don't know what do i touch what do i do well it's a limiting belief i don't know how to do that i can't figure that out they're repeating their own patterns mm-hmm. yeah and it's interesting to see how kids start to become more self-aware as they get older and feeling like they're being judged or worried. I remember watching my nephews, who were roughly two and four years old, brothers, dancing. And a two-year-old didn't care about anything. He was having the best time. But the four-year-old, good dancer, 
but was very conscious Monitoring. about people's reactions yeah. what, isn't how that was going on and he had some embarrassment about it he was self-conscious because isn't isn't that around when the ego develops yeah they say? yeah very very good yeah. yeah the ego which is like something that we absolutely need but it could also be really hampering to our experience too if we're ruled by what we need if we're ruled by the need for validation but they don't they don't have any qualms about dancing or being silly or telling the truth because they haven't discovered okay i need to say the appropriate thing right. i had a little kid come in the other day and like nicole i really like you but you're not my best friend I was yeah like, that's okay i don't need to be thanks for <laughs> telling me and i was like oh you know is there a reason that you said that? And she was like, you know, I always come here and you never come over for our play dates. And I was like, I can understand why that's really frustrating because in her mind, she's like, this is a play date and I always come to you that's and you, sh- you should adorable. be coming to me. <laughs> super cute. It's really cute. Super, super cute. But the, 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 So those kids are like the crazy people that would come to my open mic. They just have no <laughs> ego and they're singing and dancing around like insane person. Yeah, doing their thing. And it loosens me up too because if I'm hearing you know, really heavy material for adults. I'll always have a kid in the middle of the day. I'll see one or two kids. So I could right. roll around on the floor with them and play. Yeah. And sometimes I bring my puppy to work, which is a whole other thing. But that probably helps your therapy, right? It does. And I think that animals are really therapeutic. Mm-hmm. So if I have people that have a lot of anxiety, sometimes I'm like, Abigail, let's go. And they'll just hold her. Right. So yeah, they say animal lovers live longer because just petting your mm-hmm. uh, cat or dog or whatever. Decreases your cortisol levels. Uh huh. Right. Stress hormone. Yeah. Yeah. They say that. That's why they're. Have you heard about these kit kitten cafes? A kitten cafe? No. Yeah. What's that? They open them uh, randomly, but there'll be. It's just a cafe, and there's just tons of cats that are available for adoption. Oh, they had one on Myrtle Avenue, I think, in Clinton Hill for a short time. Yeah. Yeah, that might have been one of them. It's such a great like, idea. Yeah, I mean, that's awesome. They give them to veterans, too. They can get animals. They can get dogs, therapeutic dogs. And mm-hmm. I'm a big proponent of that. I think animals are super soothing. I'm picturing your office as like the funnest place in the world. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's just kittens and puppies and toys and instruments. And we do yoga and we talk about this. Yeah, why do you always come here? You never invite us there. <laughs> <laughs> you guys can come over and hang out. <laughs> I love my office. It's really, it's a super sweet vibe. I made it like a living room. I really tried to make it warm and friendly and not at all kind of, you know, uncomfortable. And I have a window and it, it's it's mm-hmm. a sweet space. Yeah, I've been to a few therapist offices where it's like fluorescent light, just bad. No, we have mood lighting. That's, yeah. Abigail and I. Abigail's yeah, my doggy. That's good. <laughs> and oh, and yeah, if your doggy's there, it probably really helps too. Yeah, I think so. I mean, my friends have given me a lot of shit about it because they're like, okay, you and your ripped up jeans, and now you're bringing your dog to work. Like, what the hell are you doing? Are these other therapists, yeah, your buddies, but they're they're just kidding around. I, they're kidding, but I mean, there's yeah. always a little air of yeah. of truth. There. Anytime you do something new, you're gonna get shit for it. Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's an orthodox way of doing things, and I think that I've found my style more as I've gone into private practice. Mm-hmm. And whenever you learn something, you learn in a very orthodox way about what's the right way to. Do something, but when you're connecting with people, it's I feel like it's a different ball game. Like there's things no matter what I would never do, and I know what is safe, and I know what the, you know my professional boundaries are. But the goal is I, I just don't lose sight of the goal that it's to build a relationship and to make someone comfortable and to connect with your clients. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I think I think now with this day of technology, people forget that connection is so important for mm-hmm. your happiness and well being. 
and it's a skill that I think is really beginning to atrophy. Have you guys read Modern Romance with it, um, Aziz? by Aziz? Yeah. I did, yeah. My God, I love that man. Yeah, it's great. I, Aziz, if you ever hear this, I love you. I think he's amazing. And <laughs> Well, he wrote it with a sociologist. Yes, he did. Yeah. But he I probably mean, had a lot to do with it, too. Yeah, but I mean, I think that with our day and age in technology, just to sit across and to practice talking and being vulnerable and connecting, it's mm-hmm. just, I don't want it to be a lost art. It makes me sad for people. I think we're losing something with that. That's why when I see technology for, you know, therapy on a phone, it just... Even with Skype sessions, sometimes my patients want to use Skype. And that's uh-huh. great. I'll do it if I know the person. But yeah. you can't see the nonverbal, really. Even if you see their face, you can't mm-hmm. see their their gestures. You can't see if they're right. you know, cracking their knuckles, if they're doing something. There's right. so much data that you would miss that you're missing, yeah. in the I, energy of the room. I definitely talk about that a lot, about online dating, how I don't like it. I mean, it's it's a tool that's what you know we, we do these days. But I feel like because of it, people are less likely to engage you know, if if you see someone in a bodega, the two of you, even though you oh that person's I love that cute, you just said bodega. <laughs> you might be less likely to like try to engage with each other because, like, well, that's not how people meet, meet anymore meet on, online. But it's like, yeah, you can you can look at a thousand pictures, all the whole profile, but it's like the reaction to just something someone's th- that tells that's chemistry so much more. It really even if does. it's not the chemistry between the other, the guy at the bodega is like tells some kind of joke and the way you laugh tells so much more about you than where you've been on vacation. Matt and I have differing opinions about this. Oh, what's yours? I'm not as cynical about online dating. I didn't say cynical. I'm more positive about (laughs) in person. Nice reframe. Nice reframe. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, if you meet someone in in person and you have chemistry and it, you know, it takes a lot more vulnerability to put a foot forward. Of course, it's easier and safer online for sure. But to me, online dating is not the first time you meet isn't the first date. That's just when you meet. Then you decide if you want to go on. It's a platform. Date. It's a platform to meet people. I understand what people. you're saying, but I also feel like there's something that's lost in that type of. I just don't want it to be lost because mm-hmm. it is intimidating to even to pick up the phone and to call somebody. Right. And these are all things that somebody has to be like, oh my god, I have to do this in order to set up this date and then the skill to have this type of spontaneous conversation gets lost and it begins to atrophy if you don't use it so the connection with text messaging or having so much time to think it's one of the reasons i love doing this podcast i know this is very different but it's beautiful this is a, a skill that i think everybody should be practicing i think everybody should even flex the muscle of trying to ask somebody out that they're interested in and that they say, why not? I love that. And I miss like that idea of calling someone on the phone. But back to social stigma, I feel like the majority of people, women included, would think it was weird that you were calling them. You think so? I do. I just think a lot of people are phonophobes and they're just like, oh, why is he calling? What a pain in the ass. Or they could be like, this is so refreshing. Look at this sweet guy calling me. He's so different. Yeah, or they'll feel like. I mean, is that how you feel? I would. Yeah, that's that's nice. I guess like you cool hear that, guys. Yeah, everybody, pick up the phone. I, I think also, Gary, you have to do what you want to do. Like if if you're if you really want to say I want to talk to someone on the phone, good and, point. And she doesn't want to, then she's not for you. Here's another perspective, though. I'm calling because I'm ready to talk. And now I'm saying, hey, I'm forcing you. Are you ready to talk now? They don't have to pick up, though. Yeah, it's also they right. wouldn't. You have to ask for their phone number. So if let's say an online dating, can I have your phone number? 
if she doesn't want to talk, she won't give you the phone number. If she gives you the phone number, then you're welcome to call. Right. You can even say, okay, I'll call you Thursday at 7 o'clock. You're yeah. really good at this dating oh, stuff. Oh, I'm terrible what? at it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just someone who, who does prefer the, 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 not the online mm. kind of dating. I also feel that like we've gotten to a place where we want to control how we present ourselves. So with online dating, it's perfect. You can choose you know, three to six pictures of your best picture. You're curated. With, yeah, with, with filters on it or yeah, w- but whatever. When you're, when you're out and, in public, you're curated too. You dress up a certain way. You, yes, you can dress, everybody but you Everybody walk can't, around naked. You can't, <laughs> yes. control, you can't control your facial expressions, how you hold your body, how you talk to strangers, things like that. Yeah, and you that's can. who you really are. That's what sociopaths are. Uh, yeah, but that's less than like 1% of the population. <laughs> <laughs> I think most people, you can tell so much. Um, if I saw one of you for the first time on a train or just walking down a street or at Whole Foods or wherever, I can tell so much more about you than everything you can say on an online profile. And you can tell if you're attracted to someone so much quicker in person. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but you don't really know a person until you start talking to them. Oh, of, of course, of course, absolutely. So but everybody th- has to go and talk to one person y- today. Y- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any things that you do like that? Like make sure you talk to a new person or learn a new thing every day? Uh, yeah, I'll say uh, sometimes, I mean, that's the closest I'll ever get to giving somebody a little homework assignment. I'll joke and I'll be like, yeah. all right, here we go. You're going to make eye contact with one person or say hello to one person or yeah. Um, sometimes I could get really creative and silly with it. Or, mm-hmm. But the trick is to just face a fear, to right. face a fear and to, to shake it up. Yeah, because getting that connection, like we were saying when this tangent started, was it's so important. And I think I can imagine clients really feel that connection with you. Yeah, I hope so. I feel it. It's It's definitely very mutual. Uh, and I used to take it home a lot more than I mm. do. Right um, now, I used to like dream about patients, worry about people in graduate school, and right. spend a lot of time on the phone with people. Yeah, I mean, uh, when I record people, if I record one of their songs and it's just going over and over in my head after they leave, it's just, I imagine it's somewhat it's similar. Yeah. Do you have any tools to get rid of that? I think it happened naturally. Um, Just I watch the to... dumbest thing on television. <laughs> oh, well, I'll have a confession. I watch stupid. I, I love to watch the same thing over and over again. It's very soothing to me, which huh. is repetitive, and I need to really check that. But I'll go through periods of watching like girls over and over. Just something that's Same light. episodes. Well, different episodes, but I've seen them already. Right. Or even Sex in the City back in the day, like yeah. a month ago. And <laughs> <laughs> But because... It's it's something light. It's something light, and I can't. I yeah. am a very emotional person, so I can't watch things that are scary mm-hmm. um, or disturbing. It'll stay with me. It'll like right. hurt my heart. It's important. To Have put you your brain ever rest. been in a situation where, like, later that night or the next day, you're like, oh my god, I said this to to a patient, and I don't think that's really the best thing I could have said. Yeah, of course. What what do you wait until the next week? Do you contact them? I would wait until the following week if it was that serious. Um, Maybe I would have them in earlier, but that's never happened. But if it was a, maybe I maybe I sounded callous in that, or maybe I was a little judgy in my reaction, because there's this whole theme, countertransference in therapy. Have you heard of that no. term? So sometimes, like, let's say you remind me of an ex-boyfriend, and I have this negative kind of oh, right. template, and they're doing something they're like, that's reminding me. Mm-hmm. I could have an unconscious reaction that's negative, and maybe I would be just a little bit harsher in session than I would normally be. Right. So then I would 
check myself. And if that would or, were to ever happen, that's an example that fortunately I don't think has happened. But maybe if I felt like I was a little harsh with something, mm-hmm. I could say something like, you know, I want to check in about last week because you were telling me something really personal and I think I was a little hard on you. Did you take it that way? Did that you ha- have any reactions from our last session? Yeah, that happens with people sometimes even not on a conscious level. They'll meet someone and they might remind them of someone from their past. Mm-hmm. So they'll put that baggage or just reaction. Completely. Yeah, that person made me feel like I was less than. Yeah. So then you bring that to that new person. And and I think, you know, me knowing my patients and knowing, okay, this person has a really hard time with feeling judged and her mom was really judgmental and, you know, it's a hot button for her and maybe I pressed it. But a lot of times people just want to be validated or even me asking will kind of dissolve that feeling but I'll always check in. I'll, I'll check in. Um, and then if I put my foot in my mouth, I would probably, I would just bring it up in the room. Because then I'm modeling direct communication too. I'll ask like, you know, do you feel angry with me? If they're talking about, you know, no one understands me. People are just like thinking I'm making a bad decision. I'd be like, you know, I wonder if you're also feeling that way about me. Just to give them the space. Right. And that's a very relational way of yeah. working. And I'll say, you know, I'm here. One of the great things about therapy is you can get mad at me and, yeah, I'm not going anywhere, but it would be really useful if you can kind of share with me what's going on. Because people get passive aggressive sometimes in their life and they never actually address the thing that's bothering them. And that's a shame because then one, it gets, it's just kind of sitting inside of them. And two, maybe it would actually grow the relationship. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. And I think about people who, who never even think of therapy. Mm-hmm. You know, you just like whatever, you, you see someone on the street just like yelling at someone on the phone. I'm like, oh. These are some really unhealthy people, but they, they wouldn't even think of going to therapy because they, they, they feel so strong about how they're feeling. They're like, I'm right, you know, I'm right to be this angry, but they're, they're not. Yeah, I mean, and even if they are, then what else can you do with that, you know, besides yelling in the street? And we've all been there. I mean, I'll use that. I'll use myself as that too. I would notice that some things, I, I'm a very, I love efficiency. That's my thing. So uh-huh. I know what gets me upset, like if somebody is driving and goes some way that's so much longer and I'm in a rush, I could be like, you know, get really upset. And then I'm like, Nicole, check yourself. What's the worst that can happen? Like, right. Just chill the hell out. Relax. You're going to get there. And if you're late, you're late. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know for me that that's a hot button for me. Right. I hate wasting time. So you have to just kind of roll with it. But in that moment, my point is I could probably in the past have looked like a big jerk if I was anxious about losing time. So that person's Mm -hmm. screaming on the street, maybe they're just, they could be a wonderful father. They could be a wonderful partner. They could just be having a bad moment. Sometimes people just have bad moments where their worst self shows up. You don't know what's going on on the other side of the conversation. Maybe nothing. Maybe the phone isn't even connected. Yeah, maybe they're just talking to themselves. Yeah, They're on their way to an open mic. (laughs) They're just preparing. They're acting out a skit. Right. Mm -hmm. They just don't want anyone to talk to them, so they're acting crazy. Yeah, just like, I'm going to scare the shit out of you so you leave me alone. (laughs) So when you're in that situation, you're someone else is driving and they're doing a, you know, they're taking the wrong path and you might be late. What do you do for yourself? We've, We've talked about different behaviors. I'll take a deep breath and I'll just be like, Nicole, in the grand scheme of things, like you're healthy, you're fine, like I let it go. It really doesn't matter. And if I'm that concerned about it, then it's on my, it's on me to leave earlier. Yeah. I own it. Mm-hmm. A lot know? of, a lot of stuff also, like what I do is just try to be grateful no matter what's happening, if it's anxiety or anything, I'll be like, you know what? 
I'm healthy. I don't have a toothache. That's nice. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Because like when you're when you're sick or or if you have like a really bad toothache, everything is horrible. So if you don't have any of that, sometimes it's like, all right, you know what? I'm grateful that I'm healthy and I can actively walk around and do stuff. Yeah, and gratitude is such a big idea right now. You know, keeping gratitude journals. Um, mm-hmm. and it's that's, so in. It's so gratitude is so <laughs> in right now, and it's true because if you can appreciate even the absent you know the absence of some type of pain because you know when you have that toothache it really sucks and it colors your whole experience but when we don't have pain or we're healthy it's like you don't even realize the gift that is health until you don't have it anymore and and people spend an inordinate inordinate amount of energy and time complaining or focusing on what they don't have Mm -hmm. it's or or hear people talking about and i've done it myself be like oh i should have taken more advantage of that when i was younger or appreciated that more Okay, can't do anything about it now, but what am I doing right now? Am I appreciating and taking right. advantage of stuff at this age? Or in 10 years, am I going to be sad that I didn't do anything And that's about empowering it? yourself, yeah. too, of appreciating the moment. And that's why this year is my year of music, because I've been saying for so long, like, I want to play an instrument. I want to play an instrument. Uh-huh. And I have this one patient who, as an adult, he, he just decided to take piano. And in the few months, he's like learned piano. And that's amazing. Yeah. And it's actually inspiring me that I want to take piano too. Mm-hmm. I'm like, why not? Why, why limit yourself, you know, if there's something that you want to it's, do? Yeah, it's never too late to start. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. I see the piano right there. The goal doesn't have to be to be a virtuoso. Exactly. The goal could just be to express yourself and train your brain to learn something new. Completely. And baby steps in your piano lessons. Yes, baby steps in my piano lessons. I can be Liberace by next month. You never know, but yeah, we'll see. (laughs) The cool thing about that too, and it probably pertains to most stuff, is that you start to hear music differently. So you can listen to the same song that you've already loved and heard a million times. And once you know how to play your little piano... You'll hear the piano in the song and be like, oh, I, I'm hearing a new dimension of it. Oh, and that's such a nice metaphor even for therapy, too, because if you're hearing an interaction a little bit differently or if you're seeing a blind spot or seeing mm-hmm. a little piece that you're bringing in, it's it's all language. It's all processing and how you experience a moment. Yeah. And- And as we get older, it seems to me that it's so important because we have a lot of the same experiences over and over. It seems to me very important that we see them differently. We react to them differently. We learn from the past and brought that to the new things that are happening. And hopefully, you know, life stays interesting. Always, always. And, you know, just to get back to what you're saying with people being, you know, sometimes negative and we all catch ourselves in that, but you know, I don't know if you guys have gotten to travel a lot, but I, I've been to, I've been fortunate that I've gone to a lot of different places and third world countries. And it's just, it's remarkable that, you know, sometimes you could see people with so little of physical goods. And they're happier. And they're just so in the moment, man. Yes. So it's like, okay, what are you doing? And I think community is really important too. Mm-hmm. Um, the just kind of appreciating what you do have and spending time with the people that really you know, bring a smile to your face because I think we can live in a very individualized society. Yeah, that's very American. It's so American and, you know, to be, okay, I want this, I want this with my career and it's great. It's it's beautiful to keep reaching for things but sometimes you might have to stop reaching so high and reach around you and and pull in the things that are right there because I Mm -hmm. think that those are ultimately the most fulfilling type of experiences just to be connected and to to go back to that experience of 
you know, being a part of a community. So that's a big thing too. I'll always ask people, you know, what's your community like? How do you spend your time? Yeah. Um, we should organize weekly get togethers where no one can bring their phone. You know, everyone just has to come and just whatever, just roll around and dance and sing and no phones allowed in the room. I lost my phone and I'm super connected to it. I yeah. love my phone because it's just like all of my favorite people are just in this thing that I could talk to all the time. Well, and I yeah, lost well, it. I lost it the other day. I went I went to a club. I went out on Sunday night and I was dancing and I was so in the moment I put my bag down and I lost it. So I didn't have it for a day and a half and did it was actually like total, liberating. Yeah, that, yeah. Did you feel anxiety from it? I felt anxiety because of all the m- money in my purse and my keys. Oh, your whole purse got stolen. Mm-hmm. Well, I I thought it did, but I actually found it yesterday, which was amazing. <laughs> uh, yeah, I am. Um, but I was really pleasantly surprised. I was like, wow, I wasn't checking Bumble or OkCupid right. or, you know, Happen. <laughs> You're on them all, huh? Yep, 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 yep. I'm so nervous I'm going to see you there. You probably will. Yeah, you probably will, but. I hope if you see each other, you swipe right. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll find out. <laughs> I mean, that's another thing with patients, too. You know, this is the way it's dating, so there is less privacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, have you ever seen a, a patient? Yeah, I have. You have? I totally have. And then I keep thinking, they haven't seen me. But I'm like, you know, if I keep seeing them, I'm sure they've seen me. And then, you know what? They can bring it in and we'll giggle about it. But Do you swipe right just to boost no. their esteem? <laughs> <laughs> You're so mean. No. <laughs> They're going to be like, I got rejected by my therapist. Oh, that's like such a fear, like accidental swiping. No, I'll yeah. swipe left, but <laughs> I, I, I love them, but in that, in that way. But it's just, it's part of our times. This is dating now. That's good. I'm, it's refreshing that you accept it. Yeah, I do. I do. And I know a lot of the therapists I work with, if they're single, they're just like, okay, well, we'll talk about it in the room, but this is where our society is going right now. What's the biggest thing you got out of the Modern Romance book? I haven't finished it yet. Um, I think that the paradox of choice, you know, just that the more options... Oh, it's debilitating? Yeah, it's completely fucking debilitating. It makes us unhappy. And we want the perfect partner, um, Mm -hmm. and we... Just to kind of, I mean, I think I'm a naturally accepting person, but to give people a chance to really let them unfold and that not everything can be seen from one interaction. Yeah, too. see, every decision is a little stress. Yeah, <laughs> that's, I know. that's what I was saying. I know, but yeah, I mean, and I, I've gotten a lot of giggles out of it, so. Yeah, yeah. it's fun. Yeah. And I think that's why people, some people just can't take it seriously either. But there's so much truth in it. I mean, as a psychologist, I see it. It's, you know, he's he's hitting the nail on the head with a lot of these things that mm-hmm. are just like the best restaurant, you know, the best taco he's talking about. All that we want the best partner. And right. there gets to be a point that I think one of the researchers in the book said, like, oh, you know, you really won't know you're with the best unless you go out with every single other person in the world right and that seems that's just exhausting and we're all constantly changing beings anyway mm-hmm. so well you seem like you're an amazing therapist oh I thank you so much highly recommend you to anybody thank you so much i, I hope i talked enough I, I really i do it's it's challenging for me i love to listen so mm-hmm. well i got a lot out of this no me too i loved it thank you so much thanks for thank doing you. it thank you bye